you've been watching any uh, are you into nfl at all do you watch football no you don't is the main reason you don't do you have is it because of your your profession or are you into any professional sports do you pay attention to anything that's going on in the professional sports world i know i should but uh you know i i don't really get into watching professional sports too too often i i think a lot of it is just quite honestly time you know i don't have that two hours uh, it amazes me every year to see the advancement of athlete athleticism in individuals and cross training has been a term that's been around forever and i don't know if it was back in the 60s and 70s but as we started growing up and you started getting and i and i, and I think about shoe companies you talk you think about nike and and remember d gordon pumping up his reeboks and then i think it, there was like this big push of these cross trainer shoes that you and i think and you tell me if i'm wrong is that you could go out and run in them for a long distance and then you could go in the gym and, and do a squat in them. Um, you could do a lot of different agility exercises and, and conditioning and, and training in them. And in cross training to me seems like, but I, I think it's kind of like the mindset is where these athletes of today, like they, it seems like they excel in every area of that. And I don't know if it's, if it's something to where, and you, you teach tension on the muscles, you teach, you teach a lot of cardio in training sessions is cross training such a thing, or is it just what people have been doing since the beginning of time? You go out and you run, you burn calories, you go out and do some curls for your arms. What is cross training? Well, my definition of cross training is if you're in a sport, say if you are running cross country cross training is going to be anything but running really that gets your heart rate up a little bit more. So ultimately cross training might be on the bike for a runner, but a lot of times people in their sports, when they're playing a sport and they're demonstrating a specific skill set, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get their strength to be able to express that strength in their skill set. So really, a lot of times, athletes are quite a bit different than, of course, CrossFit or cross-training athletes are. In other words, when you're cross-training, the, the way a lot of people think of it, you're doing a lot of the things that you are not doing on top of your sport because you're no longer playing that sport. So with athletes that are currently in a sport, and they're currently, say, in football season, they're already getting plenty of that skill set in practice. So I'm not really looking to quote unquote cross train them more in the gym. We're doing more mass specific force type of work there where we can develop the strength to again, express their strength in their skill set more. So when you talk about max tension, an athlete tends to lose a little bit of their max tension. They're not really executing say the muscles in their posterior shoulder girdle enough but they're constantly throwing the ball so after the ball leaves their hand or after they hit a ball they have to be able to put the brakes on so for me i'm going to focus a lot more on isolated or isometric type of positions i'm going to focus a lot more on eccentrics in their reps for their accessory movements things like uh, hip thrusters iron crosses those kind of movements become very important. Those accessory movements become very important, especially in season. And then on top of that, once we get primed up, 
we'll do say maybe two or three reps of a deadlift and we'll really focus on the concentric there where they're lifting that weight as they're coming up. They're really trying to execute the right hip extension, the right bracing, all of that, but then they drop the weight from the top. They don't take that weight down eccentrically because that's going to break down their muscle even further. And in season, we really don't want that to occur as much. When we get to postseason training or preseason training, we do more of the eccentric, heavy eccentric loaded type of work then. So tension, if you wake up every morning and you take something as simple as a pillow off of your bed. And I've learned this through being at the gym because I, I, you know, listening to your theories, um, it makes total sense. If I'm on the road hunting and you know, you always say you have to have a why is grabbing that pillow in like a bear hug style and squeezing it to your body. Like you're, like you're trying to pull it inside of your skin, let's say, or let's say you have a ball and you're just squeezing it as hard as you can in a hug position. Is that tension? Is that training your muscles to where, is that better than not waking up and squeezing that pillow? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go somewhere to where you don't have to be in the gym to create tension on your muscles. And the way it pertains to everyday life to me is very important because I think that now that I'm studying this word tension and what you've taught me is like, I think that's like the most important thing because now your muscles are always prepared for it. And when they're not in that tension state of mind or state of force, everything feels so good. Everything's stretched out. It seems like the, the, the muscles have a lot more dexterity in them. It seems like your joints, everything just seems better when it's not in that tension mode. Is that one of the reasons to train that style? Yeah, that's, that's a good way of uh, thinking about it. And I do think that helps a lot preparing your body for anything. Max tension, that's also a little bit more about getting the muscles or the joints centigrated or, or neutral in their proper position. So it also does matter what movements you're choosing to focus on. So you, you mentioned squeezing that pillow. The thing that I like about that is that you are working on max tension. And if you're working on really fo focused on pulling the chest muscles together in that adduction position, that can help with that. But most people, they don't need that as much as they need to externally rotate their shoulders. So most people are rounded with their shoulders. So in the morning, what I would prefer doing is creating some good tension on the back of your shoulders. So for example, you could go up to your wall and you could put your back to the wall and you could take your arms, put them in a T position against the wall drive your thumbs and your forearms against the wall and then slowly with pressure on the wall start to reach up over your head and so we call those wall slides but that creates maximum tension in the posterior shoulder girdle in those rotator cuff muscles that tend to get weak or elongated in that forward position or that upper cross syndrome position that most people have just because of the amount of sitting that we do so we like to do something like that, maybe for say 10 repetitions, just to get those rotator cuff muscles activated a little bit more. And people with shoulder pain, for example, they tend to get up in the morning, they're pretty stiff. 
And they, if they start moving right away in an overhead position, they start to do something like as far as their training goes in an overhead position. And they haven't done something like that first to create uh, maximum tension in the back of their shoulders, then they might start, say, feeling pain or their shoulder might pop every time they lift their shoulder overhead. So that's why we always start with something like wall slides to get external rotation in the shoulder with maximum tension. You know, from there you could do, you know, angel of death or iron cross pulses, those kind of things where, again, I always talk about pulling your thumbs facing behind you. So you can imagine that with your shoulder, as you pull your thumb behind you, it externally rotates back. And that's the position you want to focus on. Most, most people, that's what they need to focus on. So a truck driver or somebody like me, let's say, that's behind the um, dashboard and windshield a lot. It could be anybody. It could be a, a soccer mom that's got four kids that's just nonstop driving them back and forth to practice. There, these things that you teach, and I don't like to use the word preach, but you teach this for a reason. And a lot of people would have the mindset like, man, I came here to learn how to get my max bench press up to 350. And I'm like, no, like I'm learning now at my age that a lot of things that you teach and what I'm learning is to be pain free. And I now take great pride personally and internally to where I can drive a hundred miles and not have my sciatica act up, or I don't have that feeling of an upper back tightness or lower back tightness because maybe I did an abdominal stretch or a lower back stretch or the external thumbs out on your shoulders. Um, how important is that in the mindset of everyday human being, no matter what you're doing in life, the little things are what's going to keep you stronger for longer as opposed to trying to reach that 350 pound bench press at 35 years old or whatever. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, no, very fair to say, you know, I just, I had this conversation just a couple nights ago with one of the parents of an athlete that I work with and her shoulders are always in pain. She plays volleyball and the pattern that she overloads there kind of inflames her shoulder and she never really seems to get out of that state of inflammation. So the movements that I gave her are very similar to the ones I just explained. And she's got to get up first thing in the morning and work on those things because when her shoulders feel better, she has a better mindset to what she's capable of. The thing that I like to think about with all of my clients, athlete or that truck driver you mentioned, people just trying to feel better, you have a better mindset all day when you move pain-free. So instead of, well, that's impossible, right? Like my shoulder has hurt for the last year or more. That's impossible for me to get out of pain. Well, try these things and do them not just once a week, not twice a week even, but every day. If it's worth doing, you do it every day. And that word impossible turns into I'm possible. So that's why I like Ooh, to use like that, that, right? Yeah. That's, that's the perfect uh, word to use because it's the same exact letters. It's just the way you see the word, right? So how do you, do you see things? Do you th see yourself as I'm possible or do you see things as impossible for you? Hmm. I dig that. Is that yours? No, um, that's from a book beyond grit that I read. And, um, let's see, Sindra Kampoff is the author of that book. Beyond grit. Beyond grit. And you, you, uh, 
you're telling me that it's a good read. I should oh, yeah. read it. Yeah, actually, that is one of the books that uh, I have on. If you want to, if you want to succeed, you need to read, right? So, mm-hmm. with my athletes, that is one of the books that I tell them to read. But we also actually have a workbook that she came out with, where we actually go through the exercises for uh, each chapter in the book. And there's ten different um, disciplines, I guess you would say, for mindset that we focus on in that book. And it's a game changer. Highly recommend it. Okay. So Matt Pendola, Pendola project, Pendola fitness. You guys have heard his voice here before this life ain't for everybody. This is another episode. I'm Chad Belding and I, I just have so um, much um, knowledge to gain in this area. And that's why Matt is a, you know, the, the common denominator between me and the, 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 the intelligence that I gain every time I go into his gym and then being able to sit down and talk and you learn things. Um, you can't be afraid to ask questions and you learn little things like pain-free living. And I just, I grew up with a dad with major back surgeries and my mom was scoliosis and my brother Clint still battles a bad neck. And, um, I growing up and in, in deadlifting 400 pounds at 17 years old and being a dumbass and doing things with bad form and, um, nobody to blame. There was just back in the day. That's what you did. It was cool to, to be on the football team. And, and now as you mature, you start to see the, beginning of this conversation started with questions about cross training and this whole, this whole big thing in America of being able to go into a gym and be able to go through these different exercises of CrossFit and these, and, and I, I believe in your training exercise. I believe in what you and your wife, Aaron preach and what you've come up with at Pendola. And I think that the biggest thing I get out of it is how much pride I take in being pain-free now in CrossFit and, and that whole mentality, it, I'd never hear when I hear about CrossFit and the CrossFit games and, and, and different styles of training in our country right now, you never, ever hear anybody talk about being pain-free. I'm not saying that all those athletes aren't hundred percent pain-free, but I could almost bet a million dollars. If I had it sitting in front of me right now, I'd probably push it across the table and say, I'm all in that they got a lot of pain. And I think that, um, the, the idea of winning is still important. I understand we want to win, but I think the little victories now, I use those words, little victories in life are so much more important now than they were ever, because I want to live until I'm a hundred. I want to kick the hell out of life every day. Like Les does, or like you do, uh, like Rick Revilio does. Like we could talk about our, our mentors every day. I want to do that well into my eighties and nineties. I was watching Stoker at 66 years old, 30 years as being a pediatric dentist and looking in kids' mouths. And he is a badass athlete at 66 years old. He was doing rope climbs and keeping up with me, if not beating me the other day. And he's 24 years older than me, 23 years older than me. And that is the mentality that comes out of your gym. And you talk about cross training. Stoker travels. He drinks wine. He eats finer foods. He's in shape and he's pain free. And you've talked about his his shoulders and Scott. That uh, talk to me a little bit about those little victories and the cross training mentality. Ha, the, to me, cross training is now this: is I'm going to go in and I'm going to train and I'm going to get way better leverage on life by being pain free. And you've seen me jump. I can jump really, really high. In my opinion, I have a 43 inch box jump. Mm-hmm. And I don't, because I don't have any pain in my hips anymore. I don't have any pains in my IT bands. I don't have any pain. I have complete freedom in my legs. 
And that is done through the mentality of those little victories of gaining pain-free living. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm going with today is that cross training didn't ever taught me that cross training always taught me to be the biggest, fastest, strongest person on the field, and then go home and have ice bags all over my body and feel like pain, feel like hell for three days. And now I don't have that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a big part of getting yourself to the point where you can do things pain-free is slowing things down and taking a couple steps back. So with Stoker, for example, he had occupational hazard being a dentist. His shoulder pain was definitely from his occupation. You can imagine where a dentist is, is kind of cocked over their client and their shoulders are asymmetrical in their position for several hours a day because of the nature of the occupation. So with him, it's a good example of working on things like thoracic extension, working on mobility for his uh, shoulder girdle. But really, it came down to, again, doing things more triphasically in his lifts, you know, slow, controlled movement, learning how to really squeeze hard on the dumbbell or the bar, learning how to actually create tension in those muscles and holding your position in its max tension position, holding that position as long as five to 10 seconds, let's say, before you even do another rep. Now that training isn't sexy to people. It's not what they tend to like to do as much, but it's actually going to give you the best benefit so that you can uh, create better posture, better power, you can execute better force when he's, for example, playing tennis or playing golf, which he loves to do. So a lot of times I'm more focused on slowing things down, on really executing the proper movement, proper movement pattern, and really kind of holding the positions more where you need it the most, rather than just trying to sort of execute the movement as fast as you can while you're really doing it with defeated mechanics. So we like to always say there's no courage in defeated mechanics, and that's what we're talking about there. Okay, it's, it's great that you can bench press 300 pounds or whatever it is, but every time you're doing that, are you risking uh, a shoulder injury, right? So people pop an AC joint because that shoulder is internally rotating at the top of the position. So I'd much rather have that same person learn to do, say, a floor press with their palms actually reversed. So their shoulders are, again, externally rotated. And no, you're not as strong in that position as you would be in a, a barbell bench press. And I, again, have nothing uh, but respect for people who can press 300 pounds or more. But most people don't need to focus on that. Most people need to focus on their joint health and so they can execute better positioning for their shoulder. They need to switch up a lot of times the traditional barbell training to more focused um, training on better joint health. And so, for example, that floor press would be a great alternative. You can't drop your elbows too low you can't get yourself out of position as much and you have more time to really learn the proper positioning of your shoulder when you're doing a floor press as opposed to a barbell bench press. We did an exercise the other day and I, you can stop me if you want. And I know that you, we're going to talk about what you're getting ready to launch with your business and your brand, but 
as a goose hunter, and I know that a lot of our audience is participates in the outdoors, and some of that participation in the outdoors might be a Canada goose hunt, which involves putting several decoys out. Decoys are um, <clears throat> maybe a pound and a half each with the base on them, and a lot of goose hunters will carry four, five, six, seven, up to ten at a time. So we did an exercise the other day to where you had me on one leg bending over with a bent knee on that one leg on the ground, stabilized on one leg, balancing now using my core, bending over towards the ground, leaning forward with that other leg extended out behind me. And in uh, at, the, at the front of the exercise, up in my hands was a medicine ball that you wanted me not just to hold. It wasn't to counter offset my balance. It wasn't to counterbalance me. It was you wanted me to squeeze and to create tension. So I start thinking of what I do every day in the field. I go into a trailer and I bend over. I'm picking up decoys. Then I walk out of that trailer and my and I'm walking on uneven ground in boots and I'm and I'm and I'm and my knees are going through this and my ankles and my all the different muscles in my legs are putting up with this. And then when I get to the destination of where that decoy needs to be placed for the hunt, I'm bending over and I'm putting it on the ground. And at the end of it, I, and I and I bet you a hundred percent of goose hunters out there would attest that at the end of it, you're going, man, my back is sore, man, my hamstrings are burning. And now I'm starting to think like with those kind of exercises and you're creating tension in that muscle in the beginning, I'm looking at it as my why. How can I go out and be better at that part of the hunt to where I don't go at the end of it go, man, my hamstrings are tight, man, my lower back, it's hurting me the whole time. It feels like somebody's stabbing me with needles, right? I don't have that because I feel that when you do those kind of drills and you're creating that tension at the front, that is tell, that is training your mind and your muscles of saying, this is what the, the correct posture is supposed to be. This is what your body's supposed to be doing when you're setting that decoy down. You're using your ab muscles. You're using your shoulders, your abductors. You're doing, you're placing that with tension down on the ground and you're not just falling over and dropping it real quick because your hamstrings are sore. And that is every day for me hunting. I'm doing that consistently daily throughout the season. And it kicks off next week in Canada to where now my body's going to be, I haven't put out decoys in a long, in, in, in months, Matt. Now I'm going to go into that decoy trailer. And because of the training of you teaching me that part of tension on your muscles, now it's just boom, boom, boom with no pain. And that's what, that's what I'm telling myself is there's my why. And when I'm visualizing that exercise, the whole time I'm thinking like I'm in this position so many times during my day, whereas most goose hunters would never think of it that way. They're just, I'm putting out decoys. Well, yeah, your body's going through hell up and down, up and down, bending over spinal. And if you're not in shape and you're not really constricting and putting tension on your core and in your shoulders and your, that, that squeezing of that ball, or you're squeezing that tail of that decoy as you're putting it down, you're not doing it right. And that's why you're in pain. Right. Right. Yeah. I go back to, you need to look at what kind of strength you're really developing. So, for example, um, if you see somebody in the gym doing quad extensions, you know, so they're, they're in a seated position um, on a machine and they're doing quad extensions. Yeah, that's, they're getting in a lot of strength for their quads, but it's not very functional. You got to be able to express your strength in your skill set. That's what I always say. So if your skill set is hunting and you're needing to get in and out of those blinds, you have to be able to functionally get yourself out of that position. So the quads are not working by themselves. They're working with your entire body. And when you're squeezing on that ball, 
you're really maximizing the tension in your chest with, by the way, your palms facing each other. So each, each palm is on, the, on each side of the ball and you're squeezing on that ball. But your thumbs are, again, in that position where your shoulders can be neutral. So uh, that, as opposed to, say, doing, um, let's say, a set of quad extensions, then getting up, going due to set of chest flies. That's not very functional to express your skill set as doing a sprinter's lunge is what I had you doing while you're squeezing on a ball. Now, that is something that your body can take to your skill set and use it. It's like, oh, I've been here before. And actually, I was in much more tension uh, in the gym. So this is easy for me now. And this is automatic. And that's the secret. Yeah. That is why you train the way you do. And you train me different than you would train somebody that is doing something else. Like maybe they're going to go play in a football game because you train athletes, you train cross country runners. The mindset that you have and the knowledge that you can give is the exact way that you need to become coachable and become a sponge if you want to be pain free. And that's, there's so many things that you can do to get stronger and there's so many things that you can do to put tension on your body as far as like your muscles will be sore after you work out your that's natural i get that part of it that's not the pain i'm talking about once you get in better shape and your muscles are more accustomed to those movements obviously you're not going to be in much pain as the further you go into your workout regimens but those ligaments and those joints and that lower back pain and that sciatica there's nothing worse in life than being in a truck, knowing that you need to drive for several hours and within the first 20 minutes, it's activated in your butt cheek, moving down your hip, into your IT bands, down into your knee, into your calf muscles, into the back of your calf. And if people have never been there and and felt that pain, uh, more power to you. That's awesome that you've never done it. But I know there's products made of these truck drivers getting out and saying, I got this new pillow that I sit on. Yeah, whatever that the secret of that is training the right way to get your core, to get your spinal, spinal calm in in the right place. And all of that tension and doing things the correct way, being at the age that I am in life in the, the balance and the, in the equilibrium and all of that core strength that I have trust in what you've taught me now, I picture myself out in the decoy field doing all of these different positions and then squatting down on my knees real quick and, be, and having to hammer in a stake and not being in pain and all of that and being able to have the strength. Yes, it's people out there would go, Dude, that's what we do on a daily basis. But do you really, do you do it enough to where you're noticing that that is, that is why you would go in and train specifically for those movements? And you don't have to go in and be the best athlete in the gym. You don't have to go in and what we talked about, be able to bench press 350 pounds. I go into the gym now and go, I know that I want to have my shoulder shape. I want to have good posture. I want to be able to sit up the right way because I'm always putting myself in a position to fail in those instances. I don't want to fail. When I'm in a ground blind and I sit up with a shotgun, I want to know that I'm not ever going to take a chance of hurting my lower back. I'm not going to be unsafe with that gun because when I'm coming up, I'm struggling and I'm shaking and waving my gun all over. I want to know, boom, my abs are in shape. I'm up. My legs are in shape. My quadriceps are supporting my my core and I'm in a good position. And then when I jump up out of the blind and I put pressure on my wrist and my triceps and my shoulders, there's no pain in there. And if you teach yourself to train for that kind of stuff, 
when I was doing dips the other day, you guys had us doing dips in between the bicycles and we would, at the end of the dip, it wasn't done. We would come up and we would elevate our legs and our knees up to our nipples and we would be in a, a different position of getting more strength. And now I picture myself, that is the, that is the exact move that I'm doing in a freaking ground blind. I'm bringing my knees up. I'm pushing myself up with my hands and then I'm trying to get up out of there. Most guys my age, and I'm not saying that I'm in better than anybody, but you look, watch them get out of a ground blind and you're like, come on, man, you know, that it shouldn't be like that. And I think that that's how I'm training now is that there's a why to every single thing that you're teaching me. And I'm going, I do this every day, a hundred times a day in a ground blind. Right. Yeah. I mean, something as simple, you're just talking about doing that dip and then we kind of call it a dip plus or a push plus in that top position where you continue to protract your shoulders and push away. And that's going to train uh, muscles called your serratus interior. But we always are looking at how are you using these muscles in your skill set. So again, we do use those muscles, but it's uh, funny to me, usually in training programs, there's almost never any work done in that serratus interior. People are almost never doing anything to protract their shoulder girdle under tension like that. But like, as you described, when you get out of a position, you're doing exactly that. You're pushing yourself away. You're pushing the ground away. You need to have those muscles prepared to be able to do that for you. So, you know, we get back to, we don't want to obviously strain muscles, pull muscles, create injuries. So, why is it that all we're ever doing is training in linear planes or training in one direction, in other words? But a lot of times when you walk into almost any gym, you're going to see people just training in one direction. They push, they pull, and that's about it. We need to train the range of our joints and we need to, our body's just a stack of joints. So we need to really constantly work on good, safe ranges. Yes, but the ranges that we're going to use in real life. We're not really doing that too often when we strength train, you know. And switching gears a little bit as far as the the body um, internally now, you you train for I'm a hunter or I'm a basketball player, I'm a skier. I train my muscles to be able to do this and be able to succeed. And my legs are going to be strong because I need to have, I'm going to be racing in the giant slalom. And a lot of skiers you see just have these huge quadricep muscles in there. They're badass skiers. Now you start adding on top of that, the pain-free mentality of how does that skier stay? I know accidents happen and I know people get hurt and injured in sports. There's no doubt there's, I get that recovery is a huge part of that. As far as recovery goes now, let's say that you do get in a position to where you are in a little bit of pain. Here's where else I've, I've learned in the gym daily. My right shoulder had a twinge in it the other day because of the dips. You know, I was doing them right. I was keen for them. But because of the tiredness of those muscles in my shoulder, I was like, did I hurt my shoulder? And then I rolled out. Okay. I got a little ball. I, I, I get ball. It's not, it's, it's kind of like a, a little bit smaller than a baseball that you taught me to use. I went out and got some of them and I got in there and I lay on my stomach and I, I put that ball in, in the crease in between my pectoral muscle and the crease of my shoulder. And I just kind of rub it around in circles, counterclockwise, clockwise, left to right up and down. And did it hurt? Well, hell yeah there was some pain and then it was gone a day later it subsided and there was no more pain in the shoulder 
recovery aspect and the mental part of recovery and, and fixing that pain of being pain-free again, I'm, I don't want anybody to take away that when you go into the gym and you come out, your muscles aren't going to be aching. That's not what this is about. I'm talking about actually having pain in your body caused by an inadequacy. Rolling out has taught me that, and I've talked to Joey about how you train Joey in his boxing career. It can get away of, it gets rid of so much pain to where you might think you have an injury and it's not an injury. You've learned this over the years. Why, why don't people roll out more? Because I talk to so many people, Pendola going, Hey, have you, do you know what a foam roll is? Have you ever rolled out? Have you ever, you know, people like I need to go get a massage. And I'm like, well, I love massages and they do work, but I get on my back and roll out and it, I, I can get in such a good position in my back, you know, and, and feel better by rolling out. Why is that such a mystery or such a secret to people? That's a good question. I, I think when we look at the average person that still really doesn't know that eating refined foods is really going to gain that much weight, right? For, or, or create that much of a problem with their weight, I guess is what I'm saying because they just don't really understand their choices. And I I think it's similar to that, just to where it's about education. And a lot of people just aren't educated in the area enough. And they might have heard about it, but they really don't know the benefits of it. They haven't experienced the benefits of it. I have a lot of athletes that, um, three cross-country runners that over the summer lost six weeks of training due to injuries. And all three of them are right now PRing and they're really, really functioning super, super well. They're crushing their times um, in this season and they have zero pain. They've been doing their, what I call personal protocol. So they, they will hit the areas of their body that need to be addressed twice a day in the morning when they first wake up and at night before they go to bed. So they're setting the table up for their day. They're, they're getting their bodies in a better position to start course they're going to be in school all day and then they've got their workouts to do they have their training to do rather and uh, then at the end of the day they're decompressing again as you say they're recovering in that position again Um, that's what allows them to continue this kind of uh, success that they're having in their season without being in pain and they've experienced that and they know that and they can feel the difference in that But with all three of those runners, had they not gone through the injuries, they may not have listened to what I had to say in the first place. So a lot of times I feel like people don't really go to something like that until they really are, they no longer have the option. They have to start doing something or they won't be able to move without being in pain and they're desperate to try anything and that's when they try it. But of course, if they had just address those areas sooner, they may not be in pain in the first place. So I just think it's probably lack of um, education in in that area. People don't really understand what it can do for them. They don't really understand the benefits of it. And that's understandable. You know, why, why would they know that? But you're saying that just knowing about rolling out is the first part then it's consistency because you just said that these athletes will do personal protocol twice a day where a lot of people with the the Russian life and the 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 everyday life just gets to you, right? 
and then working out's hard enough. And then something as simple as laying down on a rug in front of your TV, watching Monday night football and putting a foam pad underneath you, people might go, well, you know, I did it yesterday. The secret is consistency because then it, it alleviates that, but it takes it away. If you're consistent with, it. if you're not paying attention to personal protocol and there, there's so much that goes into what you do as a trainer. I, I, I could never come into a conversation and ever get out of what you get by, by actually seeing the examples and watching you physically do this stuff and how to really do it. You words can't, words can't, uh, th- these words are just meant to say, there is this thing called rolling out out there. And then once you do find it and discover rolling out and the right equipment to roll out with, now it's about training your mind that this is just like something that I have to do every day. If I'm in, if I have to take medicine every day that my doctor put me on, it's the same mentality. A lot of people say, well, I haven't taken my medicine in six years. Well, no, no wonder you're sick. Well, I'm in pain every day. Well, have you been rolling out like I taught you? And that's a big thing with your clients is that you can't lead a horse to water every day because you're not standing over us every day. And that's a big, that's another part of that mental part of recovery and being pain-free living is you have to work to be pain-free. If you're going to have an, if you're going to have an active lifestyle, Matt, you have to work to be pain-free. Yes, you do. And the older you get, the more you tend to need to give, give that time to be able to address your body's needs. We all recover a little bit less as we get older. It takes us a little bit more to get that same recovery. And I, I train a, a kid uh, four days a week that he really doesn't care about rolling out. He really doesn't care about, uh, he, he really doesn't care about getting that mobility, um, right now. He recovers really, really well. And he's a beast. You know, he's, he's one of those guys that looks like he could be on the cover of a fitness magazine any day that you ask him to, but those, those days are fleeting. Eventually he's going to need to do more. For everybody listening out there, though, I do think that it's worth saying you can waste your time rolling out, too. If you're doing things that your body doesn't really need as much and you're spending an hour a day warming up and rolling out, well, that's just too much and you won't stick with it. So that's just junk. A lot of times you've got to address your body's needs and you want to keep it to about eight to 12 minutes per session that you roll out or that you work on your active release techniques. It's not just rolling out, right? You want to smash and stretch and you want to get into these positions where your body's, you're addressing your body's needs. So again, if you have ankle mobility restrictions, you're going to focus a little bit more on rolling out the calves and smashing out the calves and stretching the calves, right? So you can increase that ankle mobility. So when you start running, your calf doesn't get locked up or strained, for example. And uh, people who are, say, spending a lot of time on, uh, I don't know, say hip flexor type of movements where their hips are not stiff, you know, they're, they're not restricted. Well, they're kind of wasting time there, right? So I do think that there's a couple of good resources. There's one called the Roll Model, and that's by Jill Miller. I like that one a lot because it's definitely speaks to the average person just trying to learn how to take care of their bodies a little bit more. So that's a fantastic book to pick up if you don't have any idea what we're talking about right now, but you want to do something for yourself. It'll educate you on 
how you can address your body's needs and you can kind of give yourself a self-assessment and then see where you need to go to from there. So that book will give you a lot of good ideas. There's um, another book, The Supple Leopard by Kelly Starrett, that is a fantastic book, but it's a little bit more involved, it's a little bit more in, in depth, but certainly great, great book. And especially, I'd say, for athletes um, that need a little bit more knowledge in that area than Kelly Starrett's um, The Supple Leopard is, is definitely a great read there. What, when you start talking about the the steps of success in, in, in the pain-free and the rolling out. And I'm listening to what you're saying with discovering rolling out. There's other things, little things that we can do as an everyday human being, everyday American going through life. I just want to ask you a couple things and I'm taking notes as you talk is that, um, and you don't have to give amounts. I know that people pay for this knowledge, Matt. I know that people pay you for this knowledge. So you don't have to give it all away for free here at this life ain't for everybody. I get it, buddy. I'm not trying to get you to, I know you are a mad scientist, but how important is hydration and to not just an athlete, but to an everyday mo soccer mom or soccer dad, how important is hydration to recovery and pain-free living? And I know what hydration does for me. Um, of drinking the right amount of liquid and, and the right amounts of water every day. Is it, is it important or is it something that somebody can do once a week? Is it something that somebody can say, ah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not thirsty right now. Yeah, it's a good question. It's, it's a little bit tricky, um, to answer that one, but I'll do my best here. If, if people have a really poor diet, they, don't tend, in my opinion, to read their body signs as well, their symptoms, the things that your natural regulation would tell you. And so let's assume that somebody has a fairly clean diet. Um, they might say take in a half an ounce of water per pound of body weight, not including what they sweat out in a workout per day. And that's a good place to start. But I do think that a lot of people are not getting in enough good resources of sodium, uh, potassium, magnesium, those type of things. Um, when I say that, in other words, Gatorade is not one of my favorite options for my athletes, but pink Himalayan sea salt is. So I always tell people, add a little bit of a pinch of Himalayan, pink Himalayan sea salt to your water. And your body's going to be able to retain and uh, utilize that water a little bit better just by adding that. A little bit of lemon juice, too, I think goes a long ways. So a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of pink Himalayan sea salt in your water, and that's actually going to improve your hydration quite a bit. So most people, I think, are missing that piece. Um, other than that, I would think that just the basic rule of water upon rising You've been sleeping all night. You actually do get dehydrated as you're sleeping. You're losing hydration through your breathing. And when you get up in the morning, the first thing you want to do to start your day right is have a glass of water before you have anything else. You're saying before any food, any calories. Right. Just make it a habit. Um, that's a successful habit for anyone. Just get up and the first thing you do in the morning have that glass of water. That's going to start your body right for the day. It's going to hydrate you. You're going to feel better just by doing that. You've, you've never talked to me about this. I'm just asking a question off the whim. 
if you put water into an empty stomach after you wake up. When I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I walk by a mirror or I kind of feel my stomach or what I want, where I want my abs to be and where I feel like they're starting to come in a little bit, that's like the best time of day for me to do that because that's when I feel like my old, like I just feel like Zeus, man. I feel like I'm just, I feel like I have abs, okay? I feel thin, I feel uh, toned. Does that make sense? Is that like the normal, is that normal for a human to feel that in the morning and then you have that breakfast and you kind of feel a little sluggish if you eat some eggs with a bunch of toast and some pancakes, you start to feel a little bit more sluggish. Then even though your body probably doesn't look different, internally you feel a little bloated. So you don't really want to touch your abs. You don't want to look in the mirror because you don't feel the same way you did when you woke up. So when you put that water into that empty stomach and into that, you know, that, that gas tank, is that starting your metabolism? Is that making your stomach feel suffice for the time being of, of, Hey, I don't need a bunch of pancakes in there right now. Is that your mentality behind telling somebody to drink it? Or is it simply to start getting that hydration level up? Yeah, no, my intention there is, is just to get your hydration up, just, just to get water back into your system because you have, you have lost water overnight. Obviously, if you're like me, before I go to bed, if I have water with dinner too close to bed, then I might have to get up in the middle of the night a couple times. And that is no fun, disrupts sleeping patterns. I don't get as good a night of sleep, that sort of thing. So I might try to not have water, say after eight o'clock or something. And that way I can get through the night without having to get up. That's what I prefer. And so when I first get up in the morning, I want to have that water because it's probably been at least 10 hours before I, since I've had water. So I really want to get that back into my system right away. But for most people, it's going to be at least eight hours minimum, you know, assuming you do, you do sleep eight hours a night. So that's really what it's for. As far as seeing more definition in the morning before you have anything to eat or before you have water, of course, bodybuilders uh, getting ready for a show, you know, they're going to pound water for a few days. They're going to drink an excess amount of water. And then the last 24 hours to 36 hours, something like that, they're not going to drink any water. So the more dehydrated they are, the more defined they look, right? But that's very important to note that that's not a healthy state that your body's in, right? So when these people look perfect for their shows or on a magazine cover, they're actually probably in their most unhealthy state at that time. So I think that we oftentimes, and I'm guilty of it too, you know, you were comparing ourselves to, to that standard, but that standard isn't realistic every single day to, to, uh, to see that kind of definition. And in fact, it might be a bit unhealthy unhealthy for the definition it's an unhealthy state that i'm waking up in because i am i've lost water i don't have any nutrients in my body at that time after six seven maybe in my case a lot of times four or five hours of sleep depending on how much my wheels are turning which is a which is a, another part of recovery before we go into that part of recovery the 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 state that you're talking about being that guy in the morning of waking up and feeling like I feel like I'm at my best then, even though my body is in probably not the best without water in there, without some kind of nutrients, intermittent fasting is what you taught me two years, 18 months, two years ago, probably, which I practice now. Doesn't matter where I'm at. 
I can discipline myself and my brain and my body to where that water is cool with me. A cup of coffee is cool with me. I might cheat a little bit and have a diet Coke or a Coke zero if I need some caffeine and I don't feel like coffee right then. Hmm. Fasting to me has taught me uh, the mental part of it is that I don't need to stuff myself. Breakfast was always like considered the most important meal of the day. And I'm not trying to tell kids out there not to get up and eat your eggs and your Wheaties and make sure that you're strong for the day with where I'm at in life right now. Um, I can intermittent fast and not eat food until noon after quitting eating at eight or nine o'clock the night before. Mm -hmm. Is this doable for the everyday person? Do you have to have a different mental mentality to do it? And is it something to where if you just get past a certain amount of days, you can do it because the first couple of days are going to be the hardest or what's the mindset in, in intermittent, intermittent fasting? Yes, that's a loaded question for sure. Um, it, it definitely does depend on what your current goals are. If you're going to explore something like intermediate fasting, um, it works really well for a body type like yours. So you're an endomorph body type. So those of you at home listening, if you were to look at, say, your wrists and how thick your wrists are, um, that gives you a good indication of what body type you are. So um, you definitely have thick wrists. You have, in other words, big bones. You, you have uh, a bigger frame overall. And so that works a little bit better with a body type like yours. I am an ectomorph. I have thinner bones. My wrists are small. And I definitely can do it, but it's more important for somebody like me to, uh, say, maybe do it a few days a week three, four days a week, but not every day. So it, I would encourage people to really do some research on what would work for them because I don't think the same rules apply for everybody. But that being said, I'll, I'll give you an example of um, what can work. I would get up in the mornings and um, about three, four mornings a week, I'll have that glass of water I'll do a little bit of my own work and research, that sort of thing. Then uh, maybe about an hour later, an hour and a half later, I'll go for a walk, keep my heart rate low, maybe 10-minute walk, something like that. I might even do some easy running. Now, I've been running all my life, so my heart rate stays very low when I run. I'm very efficient at it. Um, anytime I hit a steeper hill, I might walk again. And I'll do that for 30 minutes usually. And then I go back home from there. I get myself ready for the day. And I probably have my first meal at 1230. So that does, that process does accelerate the fat loss. It does accelerate the metabolism a bit more. And because I haven't gotten any calories into my body, when I do something that's very, what we call patience phase training, the very low heart rate, but gets our bodies moving, we do burn fat very efficiently in that state. And especially when we don't have calories in our body, we're really utilizing fat a little bit more. So I do like that. It's a good method to use. Um, but I think it's important to do something low cardio, get your body moving earlier. So what I've noticed is when I do that, I don't feel hungry. If I'm not doing anything, I kind of focus on being hungry. So a little trick to that is drink lots of water, drink even some bubbly water or something like that. It's going to fill up your stomach a little bit more. 
And with the coffee, by the way, I think, of course, it's got to be black coffee. If you put cream in it, that's calories. And so you've started to kick in that cycle. So you want to stay away from any calories. You mentioned, um, you know, Coke Zero, anything that's zero calories. I don't prefer having Coke Zero, but if you're going to have something like that, yeah, Coke Zero works. So what I think, though, that when it comes to getting your metabolism boosted and going, do something to get moving. Do, again, your protocol that we talked about before. Get that fat metabolism running a little bit more efficiently. But I'm not a big fan of doing something like high-intensity interval training on a completely empty stomach. I don't prefer that myself. So on the days that I'm going to do, say, 800-meter repeats or run really hard in the morning, I'm not going to fast on that day. I'm not going to do that that day. I'm going to do the workout with some more uh, sugar in my system. Again, something like a banana works really well for me. So natural sources of sugar, but I'm utilizing that sugar in my workout. And of course, I still experience the benefits uh, from the workout without overloading my body with stress. And so you do want to support your body with the right nutrients for those really intense workouts. So I'm thinking if, if how important recovery is, you wake up in the morning and whether you're fasting or not, this, the, the, what I took out of what you just said is getting your body moving, maybe a low intensity workout, maybe a walk. If you can keep your heart rate around 130 beats a minute or wherever your, your zone needs to be, depending on your age and your weight and all that, maybe you jog a little bit. You come home, you take a cold shower. You might sit in the hot tub. You might get in a steam room. You're recovering from that little short interval of training you just did with the importance of recovery and how much you stress recovery, why would anybody ever wake up wet? And I don't care if they get up and eat a meal. Why would you get up and do a high intensity weight, a uh, weightlifting high tension workout on your muscles and then have to go to work all day and use your brain, use your body, be tired. Your muscles are exhausted. Why would you ever do that in the morning? Wouldn't that be smarter to do it at night and then go to sleep and recover when I would work out at night, it would get my, my, my adrenaline going so much that I felt it harder to calm down and come down off of a, of a high intensity workout. So it's kind of like a, like a misnomer here. Do I work out high intensity in the morning and be tired all day because there is no recovery and now I'm mentally exhausted and by the, t or do you wake up, get your body moving, go to your work day and then try to have enough energy at the end of the night to still say I'm disciplined enough to go to the gym. You see where I'm going with that? When do. Do, when do you do that high intensity workout? Yeah, you've got some loaded questions today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, the answer is it depends because we tend to see people who are successful in, in establishing patterns. They have to be able to stick with that pattern daily. So some people have to lift in the mornings because that's the only time they can do it. So Rick Revilio, he lifts at what, four o'clock every morning, four o'clock. Yeah. yeah. And you know, do I think that's the best time? No. In fact, your central nervous system needs to be up for four hours, in my opinion, before you're really going to get optimal results. So I don't prefer high intensity work, um, if I haven't been up for at least four hours. So versus list training, right? Low intensity, steady state work that you can do right away. You, you don't need to have optimal nervous system for 
I, I walk, right, to go out for a walk or something. But the fact is that if your schedule dictates that you need to do it in the morning, then you do it in the morning. I do my hardest workouts at 2 o'clock, but I can do that. That's, that works for my schedule because of the profession I have. I, I get to decide when I want to work out. Not, most people don't have that luxury. As far as working out at night goes, you're right. A lot of people just are kind of fatigued. They don't, they don't have the motivation to work out at night. But if that's your only option, then the most important thing is you just stick to doing it. And when you get there, you make the decision, what kind of energy do I have today? I do think a lot of people make the mistake, though, of working out way too hard, and then they've got to go to work all day, like you said, and they're just bombed out for the rest of their day, and, and their uh, performance at work is not what it should be. So a lot of times you just have to leave your ego at the door. You know, what, what should I be doing today that's going to allow me success for the rest of the day? Maybe that means that you're going to take your intensity down a notch or two, do a set or two less, um, you're still going to get great results, but you're not, most people are not trying to make it to the Olympics. So they have to keep in mind that they should keep their, the rest of their day in mind and they should keep in mind the patterns. So in other words, if I work out really, really hard today, tomorrow, will I even be able to walk into the gym and do anything? You, you're going to be more successful if you're going to the gym most days than not, right? So making that decision on what kind of energy do I have today, maybe I'll do more accessory work today, maybe I'll do more, a little bit more work towards my mobility, maybe today's not going to be a high-intensity day. Tomorrow, I have kind of a light day, a light schedule. Maybe I will hit it a little bit harder tomorrow and I'm feeling good. I'm going to push it a little bit more. So I, I think that it's good to have a plan, but you also want to always write that plan in pencil. That's what I always tell my athletes. Like you have a plan, but it's written in pencil. We will change that. When you tell me that you're not feeling up to it today, and you tell me that your energy level is like a five out of 10, we're not going to do something that's a high demand on the nervous system because the odds of us getting uh, hurt or overtrained, overreaching are much greater. So I don't want to do that to my clients. I want them to always walk out of a workout feeling better than when they came in. But a lot of people, I think, be surprised. I talk so much about how important it is to just get in your low intensity, steady state work by just going out for a walk 30 minutes first thing in the morning, get your day started right. And you just feel a lot better. And it can be the same thing when you get into the gym, spend a little bit more time loosening up, warming up, getting into your mobility. Maybe now you have only say 20 to 30 minutes left, but you're feeling really good. You've kind of gotten your nervous system going. You're, you've woken up, you're mobile, you're fluid. Now you're going to get in something for 20 to 30 minutes, but that's going to be a much more successful 20 to 30 minutes than trying to push it for an hour. It sounds to me like the best time to work out would be maybe, uh, you know, I know that there's lunch meetings and you got to do that in some phase of life, but maybe you use your lunch hour to work out and then have, uh, you know, a good snack instead of a big lunch. I know there's, you know, different lifestyles and, and careers and, 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 
things that go on in your life that you're going to have to go to a restaurant and meet somebody once in a while, but maybe three days a week, you do work out at the lunchtime to where your central, your nervous system's turned on. You've got your walk in in the morning, or you, maybe it was your, you're a mom and you get your kids ready for bed and you're doing enough to get your body activated, get your workout in at lunch, have a nice snack, go home, have a good nutrition, nutritional meal for dinner, have your glasses of water or your glass of red wine, whatever the case is. And then you turn it off and you recover. That sounds to me like the ultimate day, but life's not like that all the time. So what you're saying is that you got to find the routine that works for you. You got to find the pattern that works for you and what your why is and going to the gym, whatever time of the day it is, or that physical activity, no matter what time of day it is, is better than nothing. It's, it's getting started every day. Getting started in a workout regimen is very hard to do. It's very hard for a lot of people to say, I'm going to get into a routine. You go on the road like we do. It's so easy to find excuses not to keep that routine going. There's excuses for everything. I very easily could go to Canada next week and say, oh, I'm up here to hunt for 15 days and and have a whiskey one time a week or one time a night. And I'm going to have this meal and I'm going to have wild game and I'm going to eat duck and it's high in protein, but it's also high in cholesterol. And it's high. So my mentality has changed now to where I have to find that that time during the day to get physical activity in. It just doesn't make sense not to. So the whole mentality is getting it done. It, you, I know that different times of the day might not work for me as they, I, I don't, I probably can't work out at two o'clock in the afternoon. A lot of times during my career and not that I'm not talking about me personally, I'm talking about in Joe blow down the street might not be able to do a two o'clock workout like Matt Pandola had because you own a gym. Duh, I can work out whenever I want. I choose to work out at two. You, you, you just said it yourself. That's not the case for everybody. But getting in there something, and it might just be going outside by your mailbox and starting right there and finishing right there after you walk a mile. That is better than nothing, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And a little note on calories. You mentioned something I think really important for people to understand we get stuck too much on, well, it's breakfast. I've got to eat breakfast. It's lunch. I've got to eat lunch. It's what works for you. So intermediate fasting or some people that's not going to work and they definitely want to start their day with some breakfast. You have to go off of how your body feels and pay attention, right? So if you're feeling a lot of bloating after you eat a uh, breakfast every morning, well, maybe pancakes aren't working for you. Maybe you have a gluten intolerance or maybe your body is just starting to reject that pattern that you've been giving it for such a long time. It might have worked for a different phase of your life, but maybe your energy needs to be a bit higher in the afternoon and you don't want to feel lethargic. You don't want to feel bogged down and getting in flowers and getting in more refined fuels like that beforehand is going to set you up for failure in the middle of the day. So maybe you, you uh, don't have that traditional breakfast you've been having. Maybe you switch that up a little bit, eat a little bit lighter, focus maybe more on getting your big ass salad in, in the middle of the day, which tends to invigorate us and give us energy rather than making us feel slow and tired and lethargic. But my biggest meal of the day by far is at night. And I don't have any problems with, you know, storing body fat. I think a lot of people are trying to starve themselves at night, setting themselves up for failure. And they just, either they're waking up hungry they're not sleeping really well because they're starving 
or they're get going to the fridge and eating uh, usually the foods that they're trying to avoid later on at night because they're so hungry because they didn't eat enough at dinner. So it's not about how many uh, calories I'm going to restrict myself on after like, I don't know, three o'clock, like some people think. It's, it's definitely more about what calories are you getting in throughout the day and if I'm not going to take in more calories than my body can handle, I'm going to be able to still attain my, my physical or my composition goals, right? So the way my body looks and the way my body feels and the way my body moves, that's all dependent on the fuels I'm putting into it. But I can, I can eat two, 3,000 calories at night if my total calories a day is going to be around 3,700 calories and I haven't gone over the, that calorie count, I'm not going to gain excess body fat from that. Now that's of course, uh, assuming that I'm eating clean as well. I can't obviously have McDonald's burgers every night for dinner and think that's not going to affect me in a negative way. But when I pick clean calories and I'm eating well, I can eat the majority of my calories at night. I feel better. I sleep better. And the next day, my body has plenty of energy to give. I don't necessarily even have to get in calories again until maybe 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, something like that. I'll even do a day a week where I go out and run for about 10 miles Again, for me, I've been running all my life, so that's not necessarily that stressful on my system. But on that day, I do that on a Sunday, usually run a 10-mile route that I like to run. And I won't eat until 4 o'clock that day. And it works for me. But that's just one day that I do that. I don't try to push my body to that every single day. But it is a little bit of a shock to my system. It does create a little bit of a boost in fat loss for me. And I have noticed since I started doing that that I've lost another percent body fat, which, you know, for me, being under 10% is a lot. So it's what works for me. But, you know, for those listening, you have to journal. You have to figure out what works for you by journaling. Um, that's another big subject that I'm always talking about with my clients. If you want to succeed, you have to plan and you have to journal. You have to know what's working. You have to come up with a plan for what's not working, right? So you always want to look at what's going well, what could be going better, and how I can make changes. So you can eventually start to understand that, geez, you know, every time I have potatoes, my blood pressure seems to go up. I don't feel that great. Maybe I'll stop having potatoes with my breakfast. Maybe I'll stop doing that and see how I feel. And now I can start to fine tune what works for me. I was going to go into something else real quick, and I don't want to interrupt you, but you're touching on something to where uh, in, in, you eat at night, which I love hearing this because I've been, I've been guilty of this. Like, man, if I go to bed starving and I wake up in that phase that I was talking about prior to this, that earlier in the conversation about how I feel so good when I wake up, I was accumulating or I was attributing that to not eating a lot of calories at night. But then I tested myself and I said, well, I, I ate a bigger dinner and I still woke up in that same phase of still feeling badass. Um, but I slept better. 
I didn't wake up hungry. I didn't, but here's the secret to it. And this is what I've learned. And I want you to take it from here is the thing that kills me the most out of everything in life that I put in my body, whether it's whiskey in a, in a cocktail, whether it's starchy potatoes, whether it's a dish that I make with duck and I include teriyaki sauce, my body feels the worst when I eat a meal with a lot of sugar in it. Sugar kills me personally, as far as my weight go, my ability to lose weight or maintain weight or stay toned. I know as a kid, you can afford to eat more sugar than you can at our age. Again, just like maturity, the sooner in life that you can start cutting out a lot of those simple sugars, you're going to have, you're going to have a lot easier time maintaining a healthy lifestyle and a healthy weight, not being obese, not being out of shape, not having a huge belly fat, not having to get the extended seatbelt, not having, making all those excuses like, well, I'm fat. I don't want to work out, but I'm also going to go over here and I'm going to, it's no problem for me to eat this. My point is the sugar is tastes good. It cherry pie tastes really good, but I, you don't have to eat it every day. So when you're eating those meals late at night, I assume you're talking about a low sugar meal. Cause if I eat a bunch of sugar at night, one, I'm, it keeps me awake. And two, it makes me hungrier. Like it makes me starve for more is, is sugar's bad. Is it bad? Or can you have a little bit during the day? Take it from there. Sure. Well, obviously the sugar that you're going to get in fruit is much much better for you, much cleaner for your body and your system. And then you go to the other extreme with high fructose corn syrup and your body doesn't really know how to process it, right? So it is really important to start that conversation off with what type of sugar are we talking about? So if I have berries at night as a little bit of a treat, really, on top of my salad, I'm fine with that. And yeah, it's a little bit of sugar, but it's certainly being processed by my body and I can use it. And especially if I did work out at two o'clock, let's say my body probably wants to use the sugar from those berries to recover. So, uh, from there, I would say, uh, that our bodies are going to develop a little bit more response to natural sugars the more that we do it and the more that we put in those quote-unquote bad sugars the more we put in those refined fuels which also to me includes a lot of flour then the more desensitized we are to the natural sugars that our body would actually use for success right so that gets into a whole kind of deep well in that conversation and one thing i don't like to do with nutrition first of all i'm not an expert in nutrition but what i've always found is that it's really just the simple ideas that work the best this is not rocket science and people try to make it into that sometimes because it sells right but it really isn't that complicated but you're right i don't eat a lot of sugar period if I have sugar, it's usually less than seven grams in a, in a single sit, sitting. Well, I've gotten to the point in my life where if I'm not having a party night and we're not going to drink a, a, a certain alcohol that might have sugar in it, the caloric intake of alcohol would blow somebody's mind if they broke it down and you hear stuff like beer belly and the carbohydrates and beer and the sugars. And I know there's low stuff out, low carb stuff out there now and if, but I'm going to, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to drink whiskey instead of beer. Cause I don't feel bloated. The amount of sugar, I get all that. I understand everything, single thing that goes into that mentality of sugar being processed in your body and how it doesn't break down as easy. The, the sugars and fruit are better. Um, 
but it's still life, Matt. I'm still going to go out and eat sushi. And in that rice and sushi, and I don't always eat sashimi. I love raw fish. I don't go to a sushi restaurant and order processed crab meat with mayonnaise in it. I don't order crystal shrimp that has a breading on it and it's fried. I refuse to eat that stuff because I love the authenticity of raw fish. I love being on a boat and cutting it right off of it and eating it. But I'm also going to eat the rice because I enjoy sticky rice sometimes in sushi and not just sashimi. That's where my sugar intake comes in. You, I think you've told me that you don't believe in cheat meals. If you're on a diet plan, there's not really such thing as a cheat meal. I have the mentality of it, more of what you talk about with a reward system. I don't think of it as me cheating. And The Rock, I, The Rock just posted the other day on, on his Instagram, and I follow The Rock because he motivates me. He's a badass in life, truly a badass. I love him. Um, he posted his cheat meal of sushi at the end of the week, followed by six or seven, half a dozen at least, chocolate chip cookies, two cookies with peanut butter in between the cookies six of those sandwiches so 12 cookies with peanut butter in there and he admits this is my cheat meal and i'm thinking that's not really a cheat meal that's more like a reward because i bet you he sacrifices during the week to stay in the shape that he's in um for his movie roles and the the, the condition that he needs to be in to be dwayne johnson um that's a reward. So I am not afraid to reward myself. Even with the banana, I look at a workout in the morning to where the banana is going to be my reward. Whereas maybe I should, maybe I could just shove some um, turkey breast in my mouth. that's low in fat, not real high in caloric intake, and it's very high in protein. The banana, it, it quenches my desire to go eat a brownie. I get enough sweetness in that, that that's my reward right there. And I've conditioned my mind of saying, even when my daughter, I don't like to bring my daughter in anything I do in life, but there's a lot of times in my life to where I'm not going to hold my daughter back from having a Slurpee once in a while. She doesn't drink them for every meal, but I, I grew up drinking a Slurpee from the 7-Eleven once in a while and I'll be, it'll be damned if I don't let her enjoy those things in life once in a while. But now I look at it and go, I don't even need to take a sip off of the thing. I don't need it. I'll just have this little piece of this, this healthy bar over here or this banana and I'm done because I know that at the end of the week, I get that reward meal. I know that if I do things right, I can go there and not feel guilty about this reward, this reward meal. It's not my cheat meal because I'm not cheating. I'm rewarding myself for being a badass all week and not eating something that I shouldn't have eaten. And I think that it, that could be a small step in somebody's mentality of nutrition of Dude, it's not that hard. Just make the right choices during the week and then have a reward at the end of the week. And I've heard you say that you've eaten an In-N-Out burger. Looking at your body, it looks like you would never, ever even order an In-N-Out burger, right? Like you would never touch that. But you eat an In-N-Out burger once in a while as a reward. Yeah. Um, first to admit, you will catch me at McDonald's ordering fries. It's my favorite cheat, probably. McDonald's French fries. I don't know why. It's just, it's awesome. But... I, there's, there's a couple of things there for people listening right now. What you just described to me works for you, but a lot of people are not eating completely clean all week. And then really they're not being a hundred percent honest with themselves, not even intentionally, but again, if they were journaling and they were writing down what they yeah. were taking in and they could really see, yeah, like I deserve this cheat meal. That's when it works. But what I've experienced as a strength coach is that a lot of times if, if I'm looking at an athlete's entire or a client, I say athlete, by the way, every client of mine is an athlete. So they're not all training for the Olympics, but again, any person is an athlete in my mind. But when they're looking at their entire week, they definitely had a few 
things in their week that were off their plan. And now they're going to go out and have that cheat meal too. And they still want six pack abs. Realistically, that's probably not going to happen unless you're a little bit more strict about things. I think you have to ask yourself too, what do I really want? A lot of people say they want six pack abs, but do they really want the lifestyle that goes with six pack abs? Because that's a lot of discipline and maybe you're content and certainly healthy with say for a man, 16% body fat. No, you're not going to have six pack abs, but you're definitely healthy and you're definitely a lot healthier than the average American these days. So if it's okay with you, like you mentioned with Stoker earlier that he has his wine and he has his fine foods and those type of things. He's not as lean as he used to be, but in his retirement years with his wife, he really looks forward to having that night out with her and more nights out with her than he used to because they're retired and they have more time on their hands. And he wants to be able to do that and order wine and cheese and those types of things. And no, he, he doesn't see the six pack like he used to, but you can still see his abs in the right lighting. Right. And, (laughs) and he's perfectly uh, fine with that. And he's, he's very healthy. And of course at his age, there's very few people that look as fit as he does. So he's very healthy. He's very, happy with that end result. But I do think that when you talked about the rock earlier, having all those cookies, he's so strict during the week. Um, there is something called carb loading that sometimes I will intentionally take a day and carb load. So uh, usually that day for me is Thursday just happens to work out that that's the night I like to go out with my friends and it's kind of my night out. And I will generally want to Uh, enjoy more options for myself than I normally have when I go out. So I will have a chocolate chip cookie with ice cream, something like that. So I do quote unquote cheat on that night and I'll carb load a little bit more. And actually the next day is when I usually do intervals like uh, 400 meter repeats or whatever the next morning. And I feel fantastic. And I think it's because I carb loaded a little bit the night before even with more refined sugars, sometimes uh, your your body really wants to use a little bit more of that and store a little bit more of that, and that's okay. Again, kind of shocking your system in a different way. But uh, again, people have to be realistic about, well, I personally will work out six days a week, sometimes even a seventh day. But I'll do some some sort of training almost every day. If I do a seventh day, I'm I'm right now. I'm learning uh, have a boxing Thai uh, Thai boxing coach, and so right now I might put in an extra day doing that, just working on my skill sets and things like that. So, uh, but what I do in comparison to what the average American does is a little bit different as far as activity levels and uh, intensity work and things like that. So, you know, The Rock is working out uh, very hard and most mornings he's doing more in the first hour of, or two hours of his day than, than a lot of people do in three or four days, right? So you have to keep in mind who you're talking about here and are you really putting in the same kind of activity they are? Yeah, and are you going to be, have the mindset of, are you going to be envious? Uh, when I look at you with your shirt off, and how beautiful your wife is and how in shape your family is and how disciplined you are. Well, hell yeah, I could do that. 
I could stop everything that I'm doing in life right now and go get as disciplined as Matt and Aaron Pendol are and probably reach that. Maybe not with my body type, maybe not exactly with how you're built, but I would have to give up every single thing that I love in life to be able to get to where you're at. You love everything in your life and it works for you. In my life, I get to go to Arkansas and I get to go eat Mr. Billy's. And we've talked about this before. I get to go to Canada next week and I get to eat ducks on a Traeger grill and have a whiskey. That's what I do. I'm not going to quit doing that, but I'm also not going to go into the gym and go, Matt, you're such a pansy, man. Eat up. I, that's not, I, I don't, I don't want to have that mentality. I want to have the mentality of how we started this conversation of, look, I might not go into match gym and, and I'll, I'll take my shirt off in your gym. I'm confident enough to take my shirt off. And you always tell me, dude, you look fine. Joey says, Chad, you're stronger than shit. Joey looks great. Joey looks better now than he did a year ago working out with us. He's getting not back to where he did as a boxer, but he looks great and he feels great and he's strong right now, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I don't look at it like, oh my God, I got to look like Matt. I want to be pain-free like Matt. I want to be able to have that cheat or that reward, quote-unquote reward meal at the end of the week because in my, I'm going to be as disciplined as I possibly can because in my lifestyle and with what I do, I could make an excuse to eat bad every meal of the day, never exercise during duck season, and then come February or March, go, man, I got to get back in the gym because I haven't been able to do it. I refuse to do it. That's the secret. What is your why? I don't need your six-pack. You do, you need it because your mind's telling you that to be in the, the best I can be at what I do in life, I want to show people that in my gym, you get results. You can't, I wouldn't come to your gym if you weighed 400 pounds and ate McDonald's every day. That's Secret. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't come duck hunting with me if you looked in my trailer and just saw this huge mess in there and I didn't have my shit together. That's the secret of life is what is your why? I want to be pain-free. I want to be healthy and I want to be putting out goose decoys when I'm 80 years old, Period. That's the difference. I want to be Stoker. I don't want to have Stoker's money. I'm not envious of his sailboat. I don't give a shit if he gets to go to Paris, France five times a year and eat the finest cheeses and drink the finest wines. I want to be alive and active like him and his wife are. That's the difference. And that's where I was going with this is you don't have to look like Matt Pandola to be successful in Matt Pandola's gym. Right. But when I walk out of there and I get in my truck and my, and my body feels like I just went through the 60 minutes of absolute hell, I look at it and go, man, dude, it's going to make me that much better of a person. And I want a better version of me every day. And I would not get it without working out. All of the things we've talked about here mean nothing to me if I don't work out. I have to move. I know that I can discipline myself not to eat a chocolate sundae, but can I discipline myself to move? And I think that that's the secret of it is that I don't need your abs, Matt. I just need some knowledge of why this is going to make me feel better and live longer. And that's where I'm at now is a quote unquote Matt Pandola quote of the aging athlete, which I freaking hate hearing. But here's the deal. We can't freaking turn the clock off, bro. We can't say Willie Nelson said, you know, hey, Mr. Time, slow down. Let's just stop the hands. Everybody talks about stopping those. They never stop, Matt. And every, my dad always told me, you're going to see, man, you keep giving me shit. You're going to see, you're going to be here one day. And here I am 43 years old, but with the mentality that I'm going to live until I'm a hundred, because I want to do these little things that we're talking about. We ain't going to stop the clock, man. Yeah, no, that's right. And, um, Dr. Albertson and John Hodges and myself, we're putting on seminars this year and we actually switched that name from aging athlete to max 40, meaning that 40 years and older, 
uh, when we get to that stage in our life, we want to maximize our lives. We want to really live life to the fullest. And our goals do change quite a bit from when we were younger athletes. So we, we kind of switched that name up, Max 40. I think that works a little bit better. Doesn't, uh, doesn't um, always relate to every athlete. But when I look at my younger athletes, for example, that are trying to be a seven second athlete, you know, they're doing say the pole vault or the long jump or the shot put or something like that. It's all about just explosive power and their training is quite a bit different. But most of us, once we get to 40 and up, we're really looking for a balance. We're looking for a balanced lifestyle. And I, I try my best to just be the best example I can be for that. Cause I know people are looking to me for that. And my wife, obviously she, I'm very proud of her. She just won her tournament last weekend going for her black belt. And she did a jujitsu tournament that, um, she'd never done a tournament before. And she actually won in that tournament. And, you know, as she's getting older, she's actually succeeding in other areas that she never, ever thought she'd even be in. She, as a professional dancer, my wife never thought she'd be in a jujitsu tournament, but there she is. And, and, and she actually was able to win because she's put in, she's made the right choices. She's put her time in and she is a wonderful example for the other moms around her, I believe. But with both of us, we made the decision that we're not going to also be that trainer or be that fitness professional that's living a lie. So when I say that, like, man, I would like to be a little bit more jacked. I'm not going to lie. I'd like to be able to lift the heaviest weights and be able to uh, really impress people visually with the biggest biceps and things like that. But realistically... I'm not going to do the things that maybe some other people are doing. So in other words, taking steroids or just uh, choosing, uh, making lifestyle choices that maybe give me a temporary look or effect, but don't give me the long-term uh, um, health effect that I want. Uh, I, that's, that's not for me. And I don't want my clients to look at myself or, uh, to look at Aaron, say with, with Aaron, with the way she looks, if she was on some diet that was no good for her long-term, but made her look fantastic today, that, that to me wouldn't be fair to our clients to, to, to think that they could look like her because she's not eating, right? We want them to look at her and say, that's possible for me too. I'm possible. I can do what she's doing if I make the, these choices too and or find the right balance for me. But I do think that in our profession, there's a lot of lies out there. There's, there's a lot of perceptions of what people should look like and it's not real. What they're looking at is not a real healthy person, right? They're making choices that I don't necessarily support. And so you make those choices as well in your life. Are you doing things that are unhealthy for the long term? And you've, you've got to really look at that and decide that you're going to make better choices for life, not just for now. I've never talked to you about this subject. And if you don't want to talk about it, just say no. And there are stories wrapped around this and instances and experiences and history with this is working out good. And I'm talking about a male. I don't want to, I don't know, you know, we could talk to Aaron about a female down the road and I'm not saying that you don't understand the female body. I just want to talk about guys right now. 
is working out and this healthy lifestyle good for libido? And we're going to talk about sex for a minute. Sure. Okay. In our forties now, and we start talking about Viagra when we get to our fifties and sixties, we start talking about, um, we start talking about, well, there's just no, there's no drive there anymore. Our libido has gone. Our test, do you need to take a testosterone without having a doctor's test? Would you tell me you need to take a testosterone supplement if on top of this healthy lifestyle or does work is working out good for libido. Am I going to have a higher sex drive, Matt, if I work out and live this healthy lifestyle, put the right things in my body, put the right fuels in there, get the right amount of sleep, stay hydrated. Is it, is it proven that it helps or is it just your thought that you're getting ready to tell me, explain this. Is it good for my sex drive? Yeah, no, that's, (laughs) (laughs) you've got some great questions today. Uh, well, I will tell you that my, my wife, um, probably doesn't want me to get too, uh, explicit here, but we have a great sex life. The libido is definitely supported by the training. There's no question, but there is a balance there. So I do think that you can overdo the training in which case your libido starts to fall. Right. So example of that is I made the choice a few years ago to train for Spartan world championships and for duathlon national championships, in which case, uh, I did really well, but I, it took its toll too, libido wise on me. I didn't have the same sex drive, but for that time period, I was, uh, I understood that I understood that my, all of my energy, all of my system was going towards this particular goal of mine. And for that period of time, that kind of took a back seat, if I'm being quite honest with you. But once I got done with those goals and I went back to more normalized training patterns and I didn't have to complete 20 by 800s, then my libido went back to where it should be. So um, I think for a lot of people out there uh, wondering if this is good for them, absolutely it's good for you. Just don't do too much uh, training. Don't get overwhelmed with the training. Less is more in that case. So in other words, your workout window in general should be less than an hour. If you're going to train, let's say for 30 to 40 minutes and put in some decent intensity with a warm up and a cool down, then maybe you're in and out of the gym in an hour total. You're probably not going to overdo it, but there are people who are out there riding their bikes for three, four five, six hours at a time that can overdo it. And that's when you send tend to see your libido drop. So a healthy lifestyle and, and putting the right fuels into your body, you can, you, you start to believe stories like somebody like Les Nesbitt that tells me, I don't need that shit. I don't need that stuff. Like, like to me, like I want to believe less. I mean, I'm not going to go and investigate it that deeply to see if he's being honest, which I feel he is. Like maybe he's a, maybe he's a, uh, you know, anonymously, uh, anonymously, anonymously, what's that word? Anonymously, anonymously (laughs) that doesn't need Viagra at 77 years old. I have a huge sex drive personally, and I accustom it to two things. One, and I'm not trying to say that I'm out there trying to have as much sex. I'm saying that my drive is there, and I accustom it to a healthy lifestyle in two ways. One, it makes me physically want have the drive and two mentally it makes me have more confidence in attaining that drive and I think that if you think about something that can go wrong in a relationship 
you know, that puts a strain on a relationship. Libido, we hear about it all the time. I don't ever want to have that problem, but I've also have heard from guys that live that patterned lifestyle. They have that, that, you know, they get in a routine and they reset short-term goals and long-term goals and they're successful in life. They don't have to be an entrepreneur that's worth millions to be successful in life. They might be the best $45,000 a year teacher there is in this county but they're still awesome at it. And they have their libido stays there. Their, their mental state is strong. I ask guys this because I want to know, I want to know, is it something that is naturally decreases in everybody or through this approach of that, of that structured lifestyle and healthy living and healthy fuels in your body and working out and moving, not six packs, don't have to have a six pack. Don't have to have the nicest ass in the world. You just have to feel good about yourself and get moving and your libido can stay there. And that's why I wanted to ask you that is because to me in life, that is one thing that I feel that if you couldn't do as a person anymore, if you couldn't go out and, and, and have a sex drive and have good sex with your mate, I feel like you'd be like, what else is there worth living for? Then, and that, to, and that might not be the case in everybody. I just feel that in any relationship, in any man's life, that is a huge importance. And I feel that libido and sex drive and every testosterone and everything that, that goes into that sex drive is, is fueled by what we've been talking about for the last hour. Yeah, no, all really good points. Um, one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking is, uh, when I was maybe 24, Five, I think it was I did some modeling right so underwear stuff and so that was kind of a way that I made a living back then and I was down to about 4.9% 4.7% I think at one point body fat and uh, my libido was shot you know so I like to always bring that up I was 200 pounds of raw muscle and I never looked better but I never felt worse and I didn't have a sex drive so, you know, a lot of people, again, looking at these magazines at this person, it looks just so, and yet they're really not healthy. And that's also a good point about what is healthy, because if we don't have a good libido, a good sex drive, I mean, that's one of the great gifts in life, right? So you, you definitely want to have that. So again, when I talk about how you look with your shirt off in the gym and I say, man, you look good, especially being uh, your body type, more endomorphic body type, you don't want to get too low in body fat. You probably actually start to lose some of your libido, some of your energy system would start to fail. And it's just not worth it to try to be something that you're not, right? So that's that's one thing that I like to always consider myself is what is my overall energy system like? And do I feel confident? Do I feel happy? Do I feel like I'm a provider, right? So with less, I think he's obviously he's a successful person. He was a great provider to his family. We just talked to his son before this podcast. His, his son has a, a great life and a great family, but it all stemmed from less. And I think when a guy like Les looks at what he's accomplished in his life, what he's been as a provider, those kind of things, I think that's why his libido is so good. I think he definitely feels like a man, for lack of a better uh, term, right? He feels like a man. I feel like a lot of times if you are a bit of a, let's say, desk jockey or something like that, you, you know, you might, you might have just an average job where you're not being as physical. You might not feel as much of a man, you get into the gym, you lift some heavy shit, 
right? And you feel a little bit more like a man, like there's nothing wrong with that. You know, get back to your roots, get back to, you know, your man code. Yeah, be a man. Right. You know? you got, that's, that's a big thing in America. It ain't about participating. It's about getting in there and kicking ass. And I think that, I think that Les is a perfect example of that. And I think that what we've discussed is, is nothing is falls short of the, the mentality of, I am a man, I'm a provider. I want to be a freaking provider. I want to be able to go kill an animal. I ain't going to ever make an excuse for that. I want to do it right. I want to respect that animal. I want to do it in, in, in morally correct and ethically correct, but I want to be a man. I want to provide for my family and my friends. Nothing gets me off more in life than knowing that I just put some food on the table that I was a hundred percent responsible for, from the scouting, the finding of it, the harvest of it, I have a ton of compassion for it. It's sad to kill an animal, and if you don't feel that, you're you're wrong, um, in my opinion. Um, then you put that plate of food in front of you, and to hear you or Aaron or Stoke, Stoker's wife is, is anti-hunting, but she ate my wild game feed, and she goes, Homa, this is amazing. So that I get off on that in life, being a man, being a provider, uh, and where uh, I, I'm going to get away from saying that. I'm not even going to say it right now. I'm not even bring it up. Um, there is a, I don't care who you are. I don't care how many times you look at me in the face and say, I don't care. I don't care if I, uh, you know, if I'm in shape, I don't need to go to the gym. Nobody, we've talked about that before. Nobody wants to be fat. I don't care who you are. Vanity to me, I'm going to be, I'll admit it every day. I'm vain. I want to look in the mirror and look good and feel good because it makes me want to, it makes me have more confidence to go out and do things. And when I talk about kicking the piss out of life, it gives me the, the ability to do that. If I didn't look good or feel good, the better I look, the better I feel, the better I feel, the more successful I feel I can be. And in, in, in my life, I think I've proven myself that I, my success comes from the way I feel and the way I look, I am vain. And then when I see myself on TV in the last 10 years, 12 years, Years, it's made me even that much more vain. And for somebody to come to me and say, you have a lot of, vein. you're vain because you, you're working out to look good on TV. And I'll look right at him and say, yeah, I do. That's part of it. I want to feel good. I want to live forever, but I don't want to look bad, Matt. I don't want to look bad. I don't want people to ever think I look bad. The mentality that it's okay to feel like crap and bend over and tie your shoes and be out of breath and not be able to do the little things in life. That's all BS to me. There is vanity. There is a such, I know you're vain. You got to be vain. You wouldn't look as good as you were in a mirror or, or if you didn't have some sense of vanity, there's just no way Gilbert, Joey Gilbert's vain as hell. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> but, you know, more more so, I agree with everything you just said. When you're healthy, when you're strong, when you're uh, eating well, those type of things, obviously you're going to feel better. You're going to have uh, higher testosterone or you're going to have more libido, those kind of things. But what I tell my athletes all the time is more important than the the goal itself is the process, right? We want to focus on the process and the outcome will be there. And it's really important to me that my athletes feel successful in life because I tell them that most of you won't go on to become a professional athlete. That's not in the cards for most of you. But the important part is that you learn how to be successful, that you learn, uh, that you gain confidence in your ability to do things. So again, I'm possible. And that kind of mentality, that kind of thinking, that allows you to feel like 
life, the, the life is worth living, right? I mean, most people, I think, struggle with that. Like, what do I have to look forward to? What is it about today that makes today so great? Well, if you have, if you're accomplishing even many goals, like start your day off with a win, right? So going out for 30 minutes in the morning and walking, that's a win. You've already done more that day than you used to before or than most other Americans are doing. That's a win. You started your day off with a win. Odds are the rest of your day is going to be more successful too. So I think a lot of it comes back to that mentality is do you want to accomplish something today and are you going to commit to that accomplishment i love the impossible i think that's awesome teachers our whole life we were taught to pronounce that word impossible and the definition following it um, really would be a wall built on something is it possible for me to succeed yes is this whole mentality of participation award the best mentality to teach again I'm against it because I think being a loser is needed to becoming a winner. I think we need to understand what it means to lose. And I've got, we've said it here before, we've gotten our ass kicked a lot in life. Business-wise, athletics-wise, competition-wise, love-wise, relationship-wise, anything can make you fail. If you don't understand how to fail and learn how to fail, well, being a participator is not what life's about. Anybody can go through the motions. I think that's the wrong mentality. Other people might argue that. The whole gist of today's conversation has been so awesome of knowing that I'm possible of being able to get out and just go on a walk, going out and maybe not having those sugars every night and and then saying, man, I just feel so sluggish, whatever. Anything's possible to, to reach the goals that we want to reach. But one thing's for sure, you got to set those goals. You got to write them down. You got to have short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals. You got to figure out what gets you going in life and what drives you. And if, and if, if, if what we talk about in these in our talks about nutrition and Pendola and the Pendola project and what we do and what you've taught me as a, as a friend and as a mentor and as a, just a, a, another person in this community, it might not be for everybody. This life might not be for everybody. We get that, but there's no excuse not to get up and move and, and at least respect your body enough to not be in pain, not have high cholesterol. I understand that genetics play a big role in all this, but there is a way to fight genetics. And we've proven that time and time and time again in in, in life. And I think that hearing you talk about that, you don't come in with this, this mentality or this approach of, you got to be this and you got to do this and you got to have the, the, you say, Hey, there's going to be a why and a reason for the way I train you. I train you. And it's my goal now and my, and what I get out of training is a lot more than just the the sweat that's rolling off of my body at that time. It teaches me so many values and disciplines in life. And you say, I'm disciplined. Well, there's a lot of disciplines in my life that I do on a daily basis that nobody in this world will ever know about. They only see the part of me that they see on TV or hear on this radio show or this podcast. They don't understand the disciplines that I have on myself. Nobody ever will because I don't need to talk about them. You don't either. We've talked about some of them, but there's lots and lots more of them that I would, that I, disciplines I have in life. So the I'm possible mentality, the, the, the I want to be great today. There's nothing wrong with having an ego. There's nothing wrong with being cocky once in a while. I don't look down on people. I'm not going to treat somebody lesser than me because they don't kill as many ducks as me. I'm not going to become an asshole because I killed a duck. I can't have that in life. I don't want that. I don't want to be around people that have that mentality. I want to be around people like you that that say, Hey, you don't need to look like me. You don't need to be as strong as me. You don't need to be able to do 60 pull-ups, whatever. 
here's what we can do together though. If somebody takes one thing out of the day and they wake up earlier tomorrow morning and go on that walk, well, boom, man, that's the start. And I think that I'm possible is awesome. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm motivated again, being around you in just this little setting and not having, there's not a treadmill or a weight inside or a track or anything for us to go run on. And I'm motivated. And I think that's the secret. That's you take something out of that in your day, you're winning. Right. Yeah. I, I will tell you, I get kind of fired up. Sometimes people look at my life or look at our family and my, my wife and my daughter, the, the house we live in, the things we have, uh, the, the, the opportunities we have. And it just fires me up when people think that I'm lucky. None of that was luck. Right. I, when I first moved here, I was living out of the back of my truck. I didn't have gas to put in my truck. It was literally sitting in the parking lot of the 24 hour fitness that I worked at because I didn't have enough money to fill it up with gas. I took showers in the gym where I worked and that's where I started. I didn't know a single person. I didn't have a single client and I was you know, really, really hurting. In a lot of ways, it was my lowest point in my life because I felt like I should have been further along at that point. But I'm possible getting back to that. That's what always kind of drove me is looking at what it is, what was my why? Why was I doing this? Well, I wanted to be able to help people. I wanted to be able to be in the position I'm in now. But, you know, back then I didn't have the knowledge I do now, so I had to learn it, you know? So I wasn't just sitting there hoping for an opportunity. Yeah, right? You were sacrificed and had disciplines. Right. Everybody well, sees what you're doing now, but they don't know what it takes took to get there. Right. And exactly like, and so many people think that I've gotten lucky and luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity, period. Ooh, so like I've had some opportunities, but a lot of preparation went into it and a lot of sacrifice. And I'm not the only one. This thing that I love about getting to know my clients the way I have yourself and less and uh, you know you could you could look at pretty much every single person that we work out with and they have their own stories and and what the story I just told about myself it's not unique. There's all of all of you guys have gone through extraordinary odds to get to where you've gotten to. And that's why you're so successful. But it's it's not luck. And you do have to make it happen for yourself. And like you said before, if you're dealing with an extra 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds of weight that you don't want on your body, you can't tell me that you feel great. You, d you don't. So do something about it. Make a change. Make it happen. But nobody else is going to do that for you. You have to create your own opportunities. And that's exactly why I have him come in here. And this is um, one of those things where there's going to be more. He's solid as dude as they come in this world. And he's his mentality. Um, if you listen to this and you take it, you, there's going to be opportunities coming up. Um, I'm going to let Matt announce that on the next podcast because I want to make sure that everything's in stone. But there are some uh, awesome things happen with the Pendola Project brand. 
there's going to be a list that I'm going to post after I concur with my buddy, Matt Pandola here, my trainer, my, uh, my mentor, Matt here, he's more than a friend to me. His family's become very close to me and I want, I'm going to put up a list, um, that might be beneficial to a duck hunter, goose hunter, deer hunter, turkey hunter. We're going into hunting season. It's, it's, I know that there's some people that have already been out there doing it. I'm getting ready to hit the road big time. We're going to put up a list in the next couple of days on our website here at the foullife.com on, uh, on a convenience store visit um, that morning meeting place that you guys are going to meet at before you go out and set your decoy spread before you go out and get in the field and me and Matt are, Matt and I are just going to come up with some some better options um, better choices in that mini mart instead of that bear claw or that glazed donut we're going to come up with what we would get um, and what I've learned to get over the last few years working with Matt more closely on um, just making better choices so for Matt Pandola I'm Chad Belling this life ain't for everybody there's more to come from the pendola project check him out at, on instagram at pendola project he's not a big social media guy but pay attention to his website which is pendola pendola project.com or just pendola pendola training pendola training.com pay attention to that if you have any questions you can reach matt through our websites at the new merchandise up new episodes airing this week as a matter of fact we're with flatline outfitters mr blue Moore, down in oklahoma on the outdoor channel right now hope you guys are enjoying all the content you're seeing there this life ain't for everybody youtube page is going strong thank you and again from the bottom of my heart thank you for the success of the podcast the growth of it the momentum we're seeing and uh, it's just awesome to be able to sit across the table and be able to look at somebody in the eye and talk to them and there's going to be more to come for matt pandola i'm telling you guys take what he says to heart and just get up and kick some ass tomorrow this life ain't for everybody i'm chad belding thank you tom please play leith lofton what you going to do when the money's all gone thank you everybody say life owners won't last that long what you gonna do when the money's all gone